We are in this series uh, titled Know Your Rights, R-I-T-E-S, and I want you to know that two weeks from today on November 29th, we're intending to begin our Advent and Christmas series of messages. I hope you'll plan on being here for that, whether in person or online. Uh, Last week, we introduced a a brief three-part series that we're calling um, Know Your Rights. Um, And just a note regarding rights and rituals. You know, we saw last week that even in evangelicalism, there are several rites of the church, although most of the time we don't use that kind of terminology. But they include membership and baptism, communion, child dedication, which we we uh, participated in in the first service with Joel and Jenny Foreman and their son Ellis. And then there's marriage and there's, there are other things. We also saw that in the religious sense, a rite is, is really just a formal ceremonial act that's either prescribed by or customary to a church or to a denomination. Uh, and then the word ritual points to the way in which that rite is carried out. Um, the prescribed procedure, which may include specific words that are spoken, uh, specific scriptures that are read, specific people that are designated to participate, to administer the rite, and so forth. And you know that a specific thing has become ritualized when you can say of it that uh, we always do it, and we always do it this way. Last week we looked at church membership, or what we call partnership here at LifePoint. Uh, if you missed that message, I hope that you'll make a point of uh, taking it in online. And then next week we're going to examine what the Bible has to say about communion or the Lord's Supper. And today we're focusing on what the Bible has to say about baptism. And various churches, various denominations approach baptism in different ways, assign different meanings to it. And here at Life Point, uh, what I want you to know is that we don't look to tradition. Um, as our authority for faith and life, we don't look to uh, tradition for the way we practice baptism specifically, uh, nor do we look to our denomination. Instead, we look to Scripture, which is God's Word and therefore supremely authoritative for us. Uh, there's a lot to say about baptism. I can tell you that this sermon as of yesterday was like twice as long, and <laughs> I had to cut a whole bunch of stuff out, but uh, we won't exhaust the subject in the time we have this morning, but let's go ahead and and dive in. And I want to begin with this one fact that's really at the center of of the matter for us, uh, that baptism is commanded by Jesus Christ. Jesus did not see baptism as an optional uh, uh, event, an optional event. step in the life of a believer. The explicit command is in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to 20, and Jesus issued the command in a way that, that really made it an ongoing rite of the church. Beginning of verse 18, then Jesus came and said to them, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'd like to just spend a few minutes unpacking this passage so that we can understand um, what it is Jesus is saying here. So notice this, that the main verb in this command is make disciples. 
sometimes people look at it and say, well, the main verb is to go. But go and do what? It's better translated, the go is better translated as you are going or having gone. The fact that the disciples were going was for Jesus a foregone conclusion. And not long after this, just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it wasn't a command. It was a prediction. It was a statement about what he knew was about to happen in their lives. The primary command here is as you are going or as you have gone, make disciples. There are two defining participles that flow out of that command. That is that they define for us the stuff of disciple making. And those two defining participles are baptizing them and teaching them. And if you were to ask the average Christian today for a definition of what it means to make disciples, I'm willing to bet that very few would include this matter of baptism in their definition. But Jesus did. It was that important. By definition, a disciple is a learner, a follower. Jesus commanded that those who would become his disciples, that those who would become his followers, were to be baptized in or into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The content of discipleship is learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. A disciple is someone who is not merely learning, but learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. I know it's a bummer, but there it is. Of course, you have to know what Jesus commanded in order to do it, right? So that does require studying God's Word, knowing what the Bible teaches is is clearly essential to spiritual growth. But understand this, that a disciple isn't merely someone who knows what Jesus commanded. A disciple isn't merely someone who can explain what Jesus commanded or, or may even have memorized what Jesus commanded. And yet isn't it interesting that most of our contemporary approaches to discipleship are almost exclusively knowledge-based? No matter we have, no, no wonder that we have a, a lot of knowledgeable Christians, but not a lot of obedient ones. The mere accumulation of knowledge about Jesus, about the Bible, about Christianity, does not make you a disciple of Jesus. It could very well make you a Pharisee instead. A disciple is not just someone who can talk the talk. A disciple is someone who is learning to walk the walk. In all of the ins and outs and ups and downs and difficulties of life, The trajectory of genuine discipleship is not mere biblical knowledge or spiritual insight, but in gaining knowledge of God's word to become obedient to it. And that's always the rub, isn't it, for all of us? We might also observe the scope of the command, which is all the nations. And that phrase, all the nations, in Greek is ta ethne. And uh, ethne is the word from which we get our word ethnicity. So it's a command to go to every, not every political country with borders, but every, literally every ethnic group, every people group on the face of the earth so that no one on earth is excluded from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, from the salvation that he offers, and the invitation to follow him. 
Notice that there's a duration to the command as well. And it's defined by the promise of Christ's presence and help. And surely I am with you always, Jesus said, to the very end of the age. There's a time frame. The command is valid for as long as this age lasts, which will culminate, we know, with Jesus Christ returning for the church. Well, from all of that, we understand this simple truth at least, that an unbaptized disciple is a walking contradiction. See, if a believer hasn't been baptized, I I find that it's often due to one of two reasons. Either uh, they lack knowledge and understanding, that is, they haven't been taught what God's Word says on the subject, or second, they have chosen to disregard this command of Christ. And and so, so they're either lacking in knowledge or they're lacking in obedience in relation to it. Jesus also said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Later on, the Apostle John echoed that when he wrote, we know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. And and I'm like you, I, I squirm when I read those words. But there it is. Beginning with the first century church, those who accepted and believed the message about Jesus were baptized as a public expression or a public declaration, a public proclamation of their personal faith in him. For example, notice in Acts 2.41, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was, was poured out on the church there in Jerusalem, Peter preached a powerful message to those who were looking on a message about Jesus, and it's recorded that those who accepted his message were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and evangelized that city. And it says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In Acts 18, Paul was in Corinth proclaiming the message about Jesus, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. A couple observations from those scriptures. First, that accepting the message and believing in Jesus in the New Testament always, always, always precedes baptism. That order is never reversed in the biblical accounts. It's, it's not baptism in hopes of belief. It's not baptism followed by a formal confirmation process. It's not baptism in, in desperate hope that personal belief will someday develop. Instead, it is belief in Jesus Christ in an intelligent, personal faith response to a credible communication of the gospel. That is, you come to understand the significance, the meaning, the truth of the gospel, you believe, and you're baptized. Second, notice that in in none of these examples that I just read to you, was there a long delay between belief and baptism. It was always prompt. It was always timely. Uh, Belief and baptism belong together. And I really think that some of our confusion about baptism in the church is attributable to the fact that we have separated these two two things so radically. 
uh, that that confusion arises in that dynamic. Um, for that reason, the the early church knew nothing of an unbaptized disciple. It, it, again, it was uh, would re- be regarded as a walking contradiction. In the early church, if a person said they had trusted in Christ, but then said they, they wanted to wait to be baptized, everyone in that church would have scratched their heads because they, at that moment, because of that statement, I want to wait, they would doubt the authenticity of their faith claim. Baptism is, is one of the first things that separates the fans of Jesus from the followers of Jesus. It divides those who are merely playing church from those who are serious about spiritual growth and discipleship. When you're baptized, you're saying to those who witness your baptism that you have decided to follow Jesus. You're going public. You're saying that you're willing to be held accountable by other believers for that decision and all that it implies. Baptism is a public line of demarcation between your old life and your new life. But having said that, we need to understand this, that that baptism itself is neither a means of salvation, nor is it required for salvation. And I hope that you'll understand this distinction this morning. See, if, if you at some point were baptized... And you today would say, oh, I'm trusting in my baptism to save me. I was baptized, therefore I'm a Christian. If that is you, you are living with a false sense of security. Listen to the words of Jesus as Mark recorded them in chapter 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And if you just stopped right there, you'd go, oh, okay, baptism is required for salvation. But notice how he, what he says next. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. He doesn't say whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. Condemnation is the result of failing to, to trust in Christ. Simple. But baptism is to accompany belief in Jesus. And that much is clear. Equally clear is that it is not the the absence of baptism that results in condemnation, but the absence of belief. Paul's letter to the Romans repeatedly makes the point that we are united with Christ by one thing and one thing alone, and that one thing is belief, or as Paul put it, faith, personal faith in Jesus Christ. For example, earlier in this letter, Paul wrote, For we maintain that a man is justified by what? Faith. A man is justified by faith. Romans 5.2 But we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Faith unites us with Christ and then baptism then symbolizes that union. How many of you uh, this morning are currently married? Show of hands, keep your hands up. Okay. Keep your hand up if you have a wedding ring to show for it. You may not wear it, but you have one. Okay? All right. Um, Keep your hand up if for some reason you do not wear that ring. No more hands. Let me ask you this. If you 
have a ring, you're married, you have the ring, but for some reason you do not wear the ring, are you still married? Does the fact that you do not wear the ring change your marital status? No, it doesn't. Why? Because the ring is the symbol and not the substance. A wedding ring symbolizes the covenant of marriage, but it does not make the marriage. What makes the marriage is the vows that that you made at the wedding and your ongoing faithfulness day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year to those vows. Same is true with faith and baptism. The imagery of baptism is death, burial, and resurrection. Christ died, he was buried, and he was then raised from the dead by the power of God. Baptism is a dramatic portrayal of what happened spiritually when you received Christ. As you placed your faith in Christ, you were united with him, the Bible says, in his death and resurrection. His death became yours, his burial became yours, and his resurrection became yours. Why? Because by faith you were united with him in all of that. The old person that you were, characterized by sin, unbelief, rebellion against God, idolatry, that old person is now dead. Why? Because it died with Christ. Your personal faith in Jesus Christ is what resulted in God declaring you righteous. You are raised to a new life, and now as you stand before God, it is just as if you had never sinned. Baptism is the symbol of that reality. Baptism doesn't result in your salvation. Baptism announces that it has already occurred. That's why we we refer to baptism as an outward expression of an inward reality. An outward expression of an inward reality. There's a moment that's recorded in the Bible that makes this very clear, uh, at least to me, that baptism is the symbol and not the substance of our salvation. It's recorded in Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. It, It happens while Jesus is hanging on the cross on On either side of Jesus, two criminals were also crucified. One was an attorney, one was a politician. No, I'm just kidding. Two thieves. (laughs) Luke records that one of the criminals began insulting Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the King of the Jews? Why don't you save yourself and save us? But the other criminal on the the cross to the other side of Jesus rebuked him. And he says, don't you fear God? Since you and I are under the same sentence, we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he simply says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response is very memorable. He said, no, I'm sorry, that's not possible. You'd have to be baptized, and as you can see, that's not going to happen. So tough luck, right? Is that what Jesus said? 
No, that's not what he said. What did he say? Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's review the faith statements that this man made as he hung on the cross, dying. First of all, he confessed his own sin. He acknowledged his guilt. He affirmed, secondly, he affirmed Jesus' sinless nature, his innocence. Third, he affirmed Jesus' divine nature. He acknowledged Jesus' kingdom. There was not a kingdom of this world. And then, by simple, unassuming faith, he asked Jesus to include him in his kingdom. To remember him when he had come into his kingdom. And that's a simple uh, an explanation of what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ, as I think exists in all of Scripture. The thief on the cross was justified not by his righteous life. His life had not been righteous. He was not justified by baptism because that was no longer a possibility for him. But he was justified before God and, and was with Jesus that day in heaven because of his personal faith, faith alone. That's all he had to offer. And to Jesus, that was and always is enough. Then notice this, that baptism dramatizes, dramatizes the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I have a pastor friend in Puyallup who refers to this as ritual drama. Ritual drama. The word baptism means to be immersed in water. That's what it always means in Scripture. It never means pouring. It never means sprinkling. It always means to, to dip, to submerge, to immerse. So that when a person is baptized, they are lowered toward the water, and there's a portrayal of death. And then going under the water, there is a portrayal of burial. And then coming up out of the water, there is a glorious portrayal of resurrection from the dead. And the clearest expression of this is in Romans 6, 3 and 4, where Paul says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In his letter to the church at Colossae, he put it this way, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith. With him, with him. Baptism, then, is a, a symbol of a passage from old to new, from death to life. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So that when you transfer your trust to Jesus Christ, away from your performance, away from your morality, away from your sense of personal goodness, your being better than the guy next door, when you transfer your trust from all of that 
to the accomplishment of Christ at the cross, God creates a whole new you. He not only forgives your sins, he makes you a new person. And he continues to remake you throughout your life. In fact, he promises to keep on perfecting the new you until the day he takes you home. But the old person you were has died. The old person you were is now irrelevant to you. And the sin that kept you separated from God was nailed to the cross once and for all. Your old life is behind you. Your new life has begun. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word. By the way, truly, truly means, doesn't mean that Jesus is stuttering. It, that expression means you can take this to the bank. Here is something that is true, will always be true. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has, past tense, passed from death to life. So that when we hear the gospel, when we believe, we receive the gift of eternal, indestructible, irreversible, abundant life. We don't come into judgment because Jesus bore our judgment. He bore all of your sin in his own body at the cross. That's what the Bible teaches. And at the moment that God granted to you the gift of faith and you believed, you passed from death to life. You were raised to newness of life. Baptism symbolizes that you are that new creation in Christ and that you've been raised with Christ to a new life. When you add all that up, one thing that becomes very clear is that baptism, the Bible teaches that baptism is exclusively for believers in Jesus Christ. So anyone who has made the decision to believe in Christ and to follow him should, as a matter of obedience and a matter of your new identity, be baptized. Again, John 5.24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And so we also observe that baptism is not for infants or young children. You will never, ever find in Scripture an example of infants being baptized or any teaching that they should. The Bible teaches very clearly that baptism is exclusively for believers. Why? Because it's an expression of the personal faith of the one being baptized. It's not, a, it's not an expression of the faith of his or her parents. It's not an expression of the faith of his or her grandparents or his or her pastor, Sunday school teacher, good friend, anyone else. It's an expression only of personal faith. And, and we simply observe, observe that making that kind of reasoned expression is not something that an infant can do. And it's for those reasons that we, we don't baptize children until they've matured to the point where they can personally understand the simplicity of the gospel and articulate it and make a personal decision to believe in Jesus.
And we've baptized some little kids here at LifePoint, but only because we know that we knew that they understood what it is that they were doing. But if you believed, yeah, if you, if you believed in Jesus, but have not been baptized, you, as a believer, you should be baptized without delay. Some of you today uh, may be here and you're saying, well, I was baptized as an infant or when I was very young, my parents had me baptized. And if that describes you, it's possible, and I've, I've heard this frequently, that that being baptized now as a believer would, to you, be devaluing your earlier experience and somehow disrespecting your parents or disrespecting your upbringing. But think about it this way, that it is very likely that your parents had you baptized then because they hoped that there would come a day when you would personally embrace Christian faith, that you would come personally to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and choose to be a part of his kingdom, a part of his church. And if that day has now come in your life, then it's time to be baptized as a believer in obedience to what God's word says. It's not a devaluing of the earlier experience. It's the fulfillment of it. It's the fruit of it. Well, how important is baptism? Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. See, when you're baptized, you're, you're going public with the declaration that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you have identified yourself with him, and that there's no way to understand who you are now apart from that. You've decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. I want to invite you to be baptized if you have not been baptized since you believed in Jesus. Um, mentioned last week that we have scheduled tentatively a baptism for January 10th. Um, I also said that we figured that might be close to the coldest day of the year so that we could put you in some water. Um, just kidding. Um, we do have a, a portable baptistry and we'll bring it right in here and um, the water will be warm. Um, although Ron Pate holds the record that several years ago we did a baptism and, and we invited people that right on the spot, if you haven't been baptized, you want to be baptized today, you come wearing the clothes you're, you're wearing and we will baptize you. And Ron Pate came and did that and then rode his motorcycle home in those wet clothes. So uh, if he can do that, you can do it too. There is a card in your program this morning. Uh, Evan mentioned it earlier, the Next Steps card. On the back of that, uh, at the bottom, it says, I'm interested in, and then there are a number of options. One of those is baptism. Uh, if, if, you would, if you're interested in being baptized, I invite you to check that box. 
Um, if you want to write a note on there, you might just write it in that line that says other. Um, but then give us your contact information legibly and someone will be in touch with you uh, to um, hear your testimony of faith in Christ, one of the elders or one of the pastors. And, uh, and then upon their recommendation, we will baptize you. Also, you can go to mylpcoli.com, to our central hub, mylpcoli.com forward slash baptism. And uh, everything I have talked about here this morning is also there. And uh, you can read that again. Uh, but there's also a, an application form there that you can fill out online uh, and uh, submit that. And again, we will follow up with you. This is a very important step. It's a step of obedience. It's a step of public identification with Jesus Christ. It's a celebration of, of the work that Christ has done in your life. And, uh, and so I hope that, that many of you will choose to participate if you have not been baptized since you believed in Jesus. Well, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this teaching from your word. Thank you that uh, you make things very clear for us. And, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, we would be found faithful and obedient in these things uh, as we seek to be uh, obedient people in an obedient church. Would you help us, Lord, to, uh, to be and to do all that you have called us to be and to do, that we might be a church and we might be people that you choose to bless. In Jesus' name, amen.